Okay, I don't do this very often, so am I, am I on the air? Uh, I've brought some technology this morning instead of pen and paper, which I usually do. So if I have the same experience Sean had, we're going to have a problem. Praise the Lord. So we've got the word from the, uh, the Irish this morning. And to my fellow Irishman, I'd say, Dear Eve, or God be with you. So God be with you all this morning. And um, it is a privilege to be asked to uh, minister the word this morning. And what I've called the word this morning, what I've called the message is, do not give up on prayer. And it would be appropriate for the title such as that to open a prayer. So let's just commit this time to the Lord. Lord, we do thank you, Lord. We thank you, Lord, for what we've heard today, Lord, so far. We thank you, Lord, for the gospel message, Lord. We thank you for the salvation we have. And we thank you for all the privileges and all the blessings we have in Jesus. And I would just commit this word unto you, Lord. I pray, Lord, you help me to put it across clearly. And I do pray, Lord, that it would be received and that it, uh, it would just have its, um, your desired result in our lives. In Jesus' name, amen. I find it very difficult to um, pick a topic. And um, I had quite a few things going around in my mind when I uh, was asked to speak this morning. And um, we have our weekly Bible study in, in, in our little group in Ringwood. Uh, we've been covering Isaiah for the last couple of years, actually. We're almost at the end. We're up to, uh, I think we're at 58 and 59 this week. And um, something came out of chapter 58 that I found quite challenging. And Isaiah is a wonderful book. So amongst all the dealings that the Lord has with a sinful nation, sinful nation of Israel, his great grace and mercy comes true. And um, you also find some of the most profound prophetic scriptures in the Bible in that book. So it's a wonderful, meaty book for Bible study. And one I found that um, for our little group, we've really grown and derived a lot from. Uh, in the beginning of chapter 58, there's an interesting question posed because God's people, and uh, they're not behaving as God's people at the time, they're being chastised by Isaiah and, and they're continually doing the wrong thing. They ask why their prayers go unanswered. And um, that's something I want to look into today. And anyway, when I read this, it got me thinking on the topic of prayer. And um, I asked the Lord about it and I believe this is what he wants me to to speak on this morning. Now I know you've often heard speakers up here saying this message is for me and it might sound a little bit uh, old hat but it really is for me so I'm preaching to myself this morning. This is very challenging for me and I believe it may be challenging for yourselves also. The vitality and the, or the vitalness and the importance of prayer we can't really emphasize it enough so, so uh, listen to me this morning and see where we go. I believe this morning that um, there will be a desire among everyone here to grow in their prayer lives and to be stronger in the Lord uh, from that point of view. And uh, perhaps we've tried and failed. You know, I've certainly had seasons where I've applied myself and I want to um, get strong in prayer and it's lapsed and I've um, fallen short again. So maybe we began well and we faded away. So we can be real before the Lord about this this morning. He knows anyway. He sees your innermost being. He knows your thoughts. He knows your heart. So, 
I'm challenged. Uh, I admire greatly and I'd like to aspire to be like those who are great prayer warriors. And um, I'll mention a little bit about that in a minute, about a book I'm reading at the moment. You know, there's a history of people who have been powerful and wonderful in prayer and amazing testimonies and amazing things that have happened through them and through their ministry. Anyway, even in this present age, it is a real blessing to actually see or to be, you know, relating to somebody who's strong in prayer because it comes through in their walk and it comes through in their being and it's, it's um, you know, it's, it catches, you, you catch it and, uh, you know, you see it in fellowship with them, you see it, it's on their being and, you know, the thought comes of Moses when he came down from the mountain, you know, the, the glory of God was on his face and they had to put a veil over him because the glory was so intense. Now, I'm not saying that happens us or happens nowadays, but it's, you know, that's where it could be, you know, if we're strong in our relationship with the Lord and, you know, it's happened. That's something that's recorded in the Bible. I've got a question for you this morning and um, the question is, which is more important? Is it more important that we impress one another with our abilities, with our words, with our theological insights, that we say all the right things and that we look right before men? Or is it more important that we really know the Lord intimately, that we experience His power and minister effectively to others around us? The Lord knows everything before we ask. So what's the point of the question? See, we were created for fellowship with God, just as it was originally in the Garden of Eden. He desires us to come before Him. We were created for fellowship. You know, you're familiar with the expression, you hear the expression in, in, in daily life, it's not what you know, it's who you know. And usually it comes from somebody who's got something you haven't got. But, you know, it's got a spiritual application as well. It's not what we know, it's who we know. It's Jesus. Because as I said, as I said here before, and um, you know, I heard it said by a great preacher, salvation is a person. Salvation is Jesus Christ himself. So it does apply to us. And, um, you know, And in that end, you know, in that day when we see him face to face, which we will because, you know, we're all going to meet him one way or the other, what do you want to hear him say? Well done, good and faithful servant. Enter into all that's been prepared for you. Or I sort of know you, I vaguely know you, or I don't know you at all. Very frightening thought. Do you realize this morning that prayer is not just passing words? It's not just transient, that it's supernatural and it ascends before the throne of God. We have that picture of incense going up to the nostrils of the Lord, that picture of, of, of prayer which is going up. And uh, they accumulate and they're timeless. So it's, they're not just you know, words we, we say once and forget about. Prayers are eternal. They are actually supernatural activity, a very, very spiritual activity, and something that has... Um, you know, great outcome and great import. Now, in the preparation for this, I found a couple of facts, biblical facts, which you may be of interest to you. The prayer is mentioned 650 times in the Bible, that 450 times prayers are answered, that before and after the fall, there was communication between men and God. So in Genesis, we know that, you know, 
There's perhaps the times that are not recorded when men communicated with God, but we know that certainly in the first couple of chapters of Genesis, we have Adam and Eve making excuses to God, so they were relating to God. Shortly after, we have um, Cain you know, asking, am I my brother's keeper? So that communication was there. But then, in Genesis 4.26, we see those words, men began to call upon the Lord. So there's the beginning of perhaps what we know as prayer. And then we go to the very end of the Bible, in Revelation 22, verse 20, we see John saying, even so, come quickly, Lord Jesus. So in all the 66 books of the Bible, there's very, very few of them that don't actually mention prayer. And um, Jesus himself is recorded as praying 25 times in Scripture. So, interesting. And maybe just by way of introduction as well, the different categories of prayer. I found this too in preparation. There's prayers of faith, prayers of agreement, prayers of request, prayers of thanksgiving, prayers of worship, prayers of dedication, prayers of intercession, prayers, which is, I found this unusual, but they are there in the Psalms, prayers pronouncing curse or judgment, and of course praying in the Spirit. So it's a huge topic, but it's just two things I wanted to look at. And these are two questions that perhaps you've asked, I've certainly asked. The first one is, why is prayer such a challenge? And what is it that hinders us when we do actually get to pray? The words of a song come to mind in thinking about why is prayer such a challenge. So who remembers this chorus? Our Lord God, thou hast made the heavens and the earth by thy great, great power. Our Lord God, thou hast made the heavens and the earth by thine outstretched hand. Nothing is too difficult for thee. So do we believe that? That nothing is too difficult for the Lord? There's no limitation on God. And he has not changed. So what are some of the attributes of God? He's omnipotent, all-powerful. You know, nothing is beyond his power. Omniscient, he knows everything. Omnipresent, all places, all times. And eternal. We're within a linear. We've got a beginning, a linear range. We've got a beginning and an end. And we can't fathom really how God is outside of that. He's eternal. He's in the realm of eternity. So sometimes when we come to trying to make explanations and reason things, we're reasoning, reasoning between that linear frame and we don't really understand. One day we will but we don't understand. We're, we're finite beings, created within a finite realm, but we do have access to a supernatural realm through prayer. Amen. Furthermore, just to add to that, the God who created us for fellowship also loves us. We know that in John 3.16 it says, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believed in him should not perish, but have eternal life. Another scripture, Psalm 84 verse 11 says, For the Lord is a sun and shield. The Lord will give grace and glory. No good thing will he withhold from them that walk uprightly. So we see those promises. We see those attributes. We see the reality of an all-powerful God. And we stop and then we realize the limitations are on our end. The problems are with us. Now wouldn't it be wonderful this morning if Kingsway was one of the great praying churches made up of individuals with a strong private prayer, prayer life. This is a challenge to me, a challenge to all of us. Wouldn't it be great that we as leaders 
that we believe in leading example in this, leading by great example in this task. That we frequent prayer meetings in this building, perhaps, where the glory of God flowed out onto the street. And as you read of accounts of times past, people would be drawn in, and miraculous things would be seen happening because we're on fire and we're moving in the power of the Lord. That instead of looking at men and worrying about men and worrying about circumstances and situations, that we look to the Lord. Nothing would be impossible. People would be added to church. Marriages and families would be strengthened. People would be healed. And there would be great victories and great testimonies to be given up here of the amazing things that God's doing in people's lives. It's a great thing to aspire to, isn't it? I believe, without being critical, there's a stagnation in this church. We're like a swimmer. We're like we're threading in the water. There's so much more that God could do. So much more could be achieved through us as his servants and, and willing vessels if we were stronger in our prayer lives and really knew Lord, the Lord more intimately. And you know, as individuals first and then corporately, it would work itself out and we'd see amazing things happening. Agape meals, all the programs we want to run, Sunday school programs, outreaches, whatever. They won't fix that problem. They won't fix that problem of stagnation and dryness and um, hollowness. Only the Lord can do that. And we can only do it by repenting, by seeking Him in prayer, by making sure He is first in our lives and we're walking correctly before Him. And we all know that Prayer coupled with faith is the answer to everything. And I think we sang this morning, Seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added unto you. Now, if ever we need to be strong in prayer, now is the time. Even look at this state. You have a, a parliament or a government that's been re-elected with a great majority. We have a man that doesn't know God, who I think now is going to be full of arrogance and pride because of the majority of his victory who's probably going to try and force and change laws and make things that are going to go very much against what we believe to be right what we uphold as God's truth and that's going to work its way out perhaps in Christian schools maybe even in settings like this we're going to be challenged and we're going to have to make a stand on issues such as homosexuality and, and uh, some of these so-called rights you know where we stand what God says is what God says or is it what man says that goes. So it's coming. And uh, we're, the only way we're going to survive that is if we're prayerful and strong and we're, as, as it says in the word, forewarned and forearmed. And that can only come one way. It only comes out of a strong relationship with the Lord. The church as we know it in the West, it's, for the greater part, weak and uh, it's ineffective. It's um, not a nice thing to say, but it's, it's a fact that the good churches and the good churches that remain faithful and that preach the word of God faithfully and do the right things are the exception. They're few and far between. And, uh, you know, there's a, there's a decay. There's a decay going on around us. And, uh, you know, what, how are we going to address it? We're not going to be able to fix it by throwing money at it or, or by physical means, it's only going to come through spiritual means. It's only going to come through prayer. 
So why don't we go into battle in prayer, I guess is the question. We know that God's promised to hear us and to answer us. But perhaps we take his promises and what he says casually. Maybe we don't really believe. We don't pray. We are in neglect. We know that scripture in Hebrews. How shall we escape if we neglect so great salvation? So how would you define the word neglect? I would see it perhaps as neglecting our relationship with the Lord. And um, the primary way of neglecting that is not to commune with him, not to get to know him, not to listen out for him, not to hear what he has to say, not to see him and want him to speak into your lives and to um, fill us, empower us, feed us. If we're not spiritually fit, how are we going to stand in some of these things that are going to come like a wave at us? As I mentioned a few moments ago, perhaps very soon in this stage, there's a great wave, a great tide of evil that's coming over. And it's, we know it's been, it's been um, foretold, you know, the great wickedness and great evil, you know, the things are going to decline. The love of many will grow cold. But it shouldn't be the love of us, brothers and sisters here in the church. We should remain warm. We should be standing no matter what. And uh, again, we need a solid relationship with the Lord to do that. So God's people are under great attack. And it's going to get worse. There's many places in this world where being a Christian has a great cost. And even a cost unto death. You know, we don't realize that perhaps here you know, we're, we're in a bit of a bubble and life goes on and we're busy day to day. But there's countries around this world, I'm even reading this week, it, it, um, I can't remember what part of Africa, there's whole villages being slaughtered because they're Christians. You know, the world wants to promote the rights of, of people in a sinful situation, gay rights or LGBT or whatever you want to call it. But as people, as Christians, are actually paying with their lives. It will never get a mention in the world system. And, uh, you know, great prices have been paid by people around the world for taking a stand for Jesus. But what's our attack here? It's a more subtle and deceptive attack. And it outworks in a form of lukewarmness and coldness that's evident on many of us as Christians. And it shouldn't be that way. You know, it's... Um, It's a sad thing, really, that this subtlety, this, this, you know, I've heard it described in, in preaching, I think, by Jacob Prash, as the, the serpent and the dragon. The dragon is overt and it's open and it's obvious where, where you know, people are physically being attacked and, you know, that it's evident straight away. But this subtle, deceptive thing, this sort of um, lackadaisical sort of attack that, and uh, in, inept reaction and, and coldness and lukewarmness, on our behalfs, it really is evident of the uh, church of Laodicea, and we're in, perhaps we're in that Laodicean church age, you know, where the, the Lord is outside knocking, and we're inside busy, and he wants to come in, but we haven't invited him in. You know, I find that very challenging, you know, that, that, that disturbs me. Do you realize this morning that because of what Jesus done at Calvary, and we heard it expounded this morning 
over the table of the Lord. He died. He rose again from the dead. Overcame sin and death. Redeemed us from destruction and from judgment. As the song says, victory we have in Jesus Christ. Forgiveness for he was crucified. Wholeness in every part of me. And reigning with him upon the throne. We can boldly enter into his presence this morning to the very throne of grace, to the Holy of Holies. We can do what in the Old Testament the high priest can only do once a year and do at a great peril. And we can do it 24-7. We have a, a wonderful privilege that we can actually access that throne of grace any time, night or day, in our private lives. And if our sins are confessed and dealt with, we have the most wonderful of privileges. No one else no other people, no other belief system has the privilege we have this morning to access the very power and the very throne of God. So we do not pray, we're neglecting and we're disregarding what's been done on us, done for us on the cross. We're the bride and Jesus is the groom. So the bride is effectively snubbing the groom. And uh, we, we need to stop and think that you know, we don't avail of what's been done for us and the great privileges we have, there is no other sacrifice. There's nothing else that we can avail of. It's all been given to us. Here's some things to consider if we're struggling in prayer. Do we really believe that prayer works? Perhaps we believe that our particular prayers will not be answered. Maybe something to do with us or, you know, God doesn't love me or God doesn't want to hear me, whatever. And then we have to realize that without faith, we don't have faith. We don't believe he's going to answer. We don't have faith. It's impossible to please God. So how can we pray if we don't believe? So that's the first thing. We really need to believe. We need to believe what he says in his word. We need to cast out and disregard what the world says and just believe what he says because it's truth. Everything else is transient, passing, Changeable. God's word never changes. Have you left your first love? It's a question for me as well. Have I left my first love? Like the church of Ephesus in Revelation 2.4. He has this thing. I have this thing against you. You've left your first love. How can we pray to the Lord if we don't love him? Challenging question. As I mentioned before, if the church is the bride of Christ, you know, if you're married to the one you love, you can't have any other loves. There can only be one love, and that's Jesus. Anything else that's contesting or, or trying to wedge its way in, it's got to leave. You've got to cast it out. Who or what is our first priority this morning? These are challenging questions. Does Jesus come before yourself, number one? You don't exalt yourself before the Lord, your wife, your children, your job, even your ministry, your hobbies, and the list goes on. So how can prayer to Jesus be a priority if Jesus himself is not the priority in your life? Do you remember Matthew 13, 22? And it's in that um, parable of the uh, sower and the seed. That parable is a special um, significance for me because that was preached the morning that I gave my life to the Lord. So I always remember that parable. 
But Jesus, in verse 22, is giving an explanation of the parable. And he talks about how the weeds and the thorns rise up and choke out the word of God. Well, it's the same thing with prayer. That the circumstances of life, that the distractions of life, the cares of this world, if we're not disciplined, they'll choke out your prayer life. They'll strangle it. And um, it'll go down to something insignificant. I want to read just uh, this morning a couple of little things here and there. This is a book I got about 15 years ago. And when I, when I read it, I don't think I fully appreciated it at the time. It's E.M. Bounds' work on prayer. And it's over 600 pages long. But just on this, this um, topic of uh, the cares of the world choking us out, just consider this, this paragraph here. The process of hindering prayer by crowding it out is simple and goes in stages, one after the other. First one hurries through prayer, unrest and agitation, which are fatal to all devout exercises, come in. Then the time one spends at prayer is shortened, while one's inclination for the exercise dwindles. Then prayer is crowded into a corner and depends on fragments of time for its exercise, its value depreciates. By this point, the duty has lost its importance. It no longer commands respect or brings any benefit. It has fallen out of esteem, out of the heart, out of the habits, out of the life. When one ceases to pray, he ceases to live spiritually. We spiritually die. There's no defense against the desolating floods of worldliness and business and cares except prayer. So the thing that the cares and the, uh, the thorns and the weeds are trying to kill out is the very answer to the problem. We need to pray. Another one. This one is, I, I believe, is appropriate to me. We operate in our own strength. We've learned to fix our own problems. And perhaps we're stoic in adversity and too proud to turn to God. We think we can fix our own problems. And to a point, we can do that. And we might get away with it for a while. And, uh, you know, all may look well. But what happens when you lose your abilities? What happens when your health fails? What happens when you lose your faculties? You're on your own. And we need more God more than he needs us. So, so going in your own strength, its end is, is um, not good. You might fool some people some of the time, but you won't fool God any of the time. Another one, we think that prayer is for the saints only. And there are those that are especially gifted in prayer, but it is for everyone. And we're all responsible for working out our own salvation. With fear and trepidation, the word says. So everybody should be represented at the prayer mission. So I preface this morning by saying our private prayer lives first. They have to be right. But when it comes to having a prayer meeting in the church, everybody should be represented. Not just the middle-aged and the older, but the youth, young boys, young girls, everybody. Prayer meeting is a price for them. And, um, you know, we want to get out of the stagnation and the, um, the bind that I mentioned earlier on. That's the only way it's going to happen. We have to break through in prayer. And when we think about it this morning, we are utterly dependent on God. Every breath we take, every heartbeat that I have up here standing on this platform, I'm dependent on God for it. He's the giver of life. 
we should acknowledge that. We should acknowledge that everything is from him anyway. And, you know, in a spirit of humility, you know, bear that in mind. Think of our position. Our position is lowly. You know, we're only here for a while. We're only a dash between the two years on the gravestone. And, you know, we need to consider our position, consider we only have one chance. You know, we have to get it right now or bear the consequences for eternity. So we need humility and we need to realize our position before God and it'll incline us to spend more time with him. Everything, and we've said it many times, everything in this world around us is reserved for destruction. It's passing. And one day it will all be consumed and dissolved as the elements, as it says in, the, in Peter, I believe. Now to the second question, which was, what hinders us when we pray? I want to go back to the original reference I made to Isaiah 58 in our Bible study. A reading there from Isaiah 58, verse 1, it says, bear with me, this is the Old King James English, I like the Old King James. It says, cry aloud, spare not, lift up your voice like a trumpet. Tell my people their transgression and the house of Jacob their sins. Yet they seek me daily and delight to know my ways. As a nation that did righteousness and did not forsake the ordinances of their God, they ask of me the ordinances of justice. They take delight in approaching God. And this verse here. Why have we fasted, they say, and you have not seen, the Lord? Why have we afflicted our souls and you've taken no notice? So they, they believe they're doing the right thing and God's not answering their prayer. They prayed, they sought the Lord daily, they fasted and done what appeared to be the right things. And I thought of a couple of questions when I, when I looked at this. You know, were the people asking the Lord's favour and knowing that they were in sin? Or perhaps the more serious, were they deluded and really believed that all was well with their walk? God help us this morning from self-deception. That we ever get into a position where we're out of kilter and out of correct relationship with the Lord and we believe we're actually okay. That, that awareness of straying, awareness of sin in our lives, that conviction is gone, that our very conscience has become seared, or that the Spirit, Holy Spirit, has been frustrated and um, is not effective in our lives. And then something drastic has to take place, and we need severe correction to put things right again. So God help us from that this morning and protect us from that. That's a terrible place to be. Perhaps they thought that God was not all-powerful or in some way hindered in answering prayer. Again, maybe it comes back to a question of faith. When I was doing the study for this, I think I heard of this book before, before and it's, um, you know, why do bad things happen to good people? And this book was written by a rabbi, a conservative rabbi, uh, Kushner, his name was, back in the early 80s. It was a great seller at the time and, and he wrote the book after his 14 year old son died of an incurable disease a few years previously and he put across in the book that you know we should love God, God is loving but he's not all powerful he's not sovereign you know when he doesn't and can't meet our requests we should forgive him I thought what a blasphemous thing to say that that's not the God we serve this morning and you know, how could how could somebody you know, a conservative rabbi writes something like that. But perhaps that thought is actually out there as well, that you know, maybe people believe that God isn't capable and, 
and can't do what um, he says he can do in his word. But uh, it's not true. The reality for God's people in the Old Testament that we refer to in, in Isaiah and perhaps for me and you today as well is answered in the following chapter of Isaiah. And if we go to chapter 59, it says there in verse 1, Behold, the Lord's hand is not shortened, that it cannot save, nor is ear heavy, that it cannot hear. And verse 2, But our iniquities have separated you from God. Sorry, your iniquities have separated you from God, and your sins have hidden his face from you, that he will not hear. So should we see our prayers answered more frequently? Than we do. Is it normal to see prayer unanswered? Is the Lord testing us? Does the Lord really want to answer our prayers? And if you look at verse 1, it says, His hand is not shortened, and his ear is not heavy that it cannot hear. He certainly can hear our prayers. You know, if we believe that verse, then the answer is definitely yes. He hears us. He knows what we're even going to say before we say it. But how many times have you heard a brother or sister say that they've gone to the Lord many times and nothing has happened. And they might say, well, prayer doesn't work. And what sort of an explanation, what sort of an answer would we give in that case? You know, it's not the Lord's will. It's not the Lord's time. You should have fasted. You know, perhaps spiritual forces of darkness are hindering you like they did in the book of Daniel and he's waiting for an answer. Perhaps we are praying for somebody that has sin in their lives blocking the way. All of those may be true. But it's interesting, when you look at all of those answers, they're looking outward. They're not looking into the individual in question. So could verse 2 be the reason? But our iniquities or your iniquities have separated you, my iniquities have separated us from God. And our sins have hidden his face so that he will not hear. That's a very confronting thought. But just as iniquity and sin affected God's people in the Old Testament, you know, we need to consider... Is the same thing possible now? Is there a hindrance or a block that's actually stopping us from having our prayers answered? You ever stop and think, are we praying scripturally? Are we praying the way we should be praying? Are we in good standing before the Lord? So consider the following. Attitude and impatience. So do we approach the Lord with an impatient or a bad attitude? Do we carry over what we see in this world where everything is now? I want it now. And try to carry it across into the spiritual. It doesn't work. The Lord says that we're to approach him in submission and in a patient spirit. Psalm 37 verse 7. Rest in the Lord and wait patiently for him. I had a conversation with a brother last week who remained unnamed over a cup of coffee and he was saying, you know, don't rush your decisions. You know, I won't say what the context was. You know, you need to wait on the Lord more. And he's right. Got to be balanced, of course, against, against inaction. You know, sometimes we are too quick to rush into things. You know, we need to ask the Lord, we need to be patient, maybe wait a bit longer before we act rashly. Isaiah 40, verse 31. Everyone knows this. But those who wait on the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings like eagles. They shall run and not weary. They shall walk 
and not faint. So God is not at our beck and call. He will answer at the right time and always with the right answer. How about verse 2? Is there iniquity in our heart? Who remembers the story of Joshua in the Old Testament and the great victory they just had after the um, Jericho was taken? And we have that detailed account of how Jericho was taken and the exact, exact formula that was prescribed and the manner that it was to happen. And, you know, it was taken and then they destroyed it by fire and only Rahab and her family are saved. But a certain character called Achan took of the accursed thing and that accursed thing was spread among the people of Israel. And Joshua, of course, didn't realize this at the time. Afterwards, when they went up to fight the battle of Ai, which was shortly afterwards, and 3,000 men in the city of Ai caused the people of Israel to flee and they were scattered and, and uh, many were killed. So he got on his knees before the Lord and he says he was in sackcloth and ashes and he spent quite a long time there and he's pleading, you know, how could you do this to your people, you know, Lord? And, and God told him, stop. He actually stopped him in prayer and pointed out to him that there was sin in the camp. So sometimes perhaps we're praying and there's never going to be an answer because there's a sin or there's a block. There's something we need to do with, deal with. And, um, you know, our prayers become pointless in, the, in that case. I put a couple of questions here. You know, that's in an Old Testament co- uh, context. You know, the accursed thing and what happened to that AI. But what about in, your, in our daily walk? You know, if God doesn't hear you, hear us. So is there unforgiveness in your life, my life? Do, do you owe anybody money? Do you have dishonest dealings? Have you cheated your employer? or the government. So we need to be right before the Lord if we expect to have prayers answered. How about a lack of spiritual stamina? I can put my hand up to this. It's difficult to pray for a length of time. It's actually probably a lot easier to go out and maybe to do physical hard labor than it is to get on your knees and to, to uh, pray for an extended period of time. So we do not have the heart or the determination to pray until there's a breakthrough. Now, I read the, the Gulag Archipelago recently by, by Alexander Solzhenitsyn, and that was an account of the, the whole um, labor camp system in the Soviet Union that ran from the early part of the century right up into the, the 1950s. And under Stalin, it was one of the most cruel and oppressive systems on earth. And um, Solzhenitsyn has a lot of very detailed accounts of what went, what went on in the camp. And in his accounts, he, d- he describes how the very, very worst of punishment and treatment was reserved for the Christians. So women who were Christians were put in among the prostitutes in prison. Men who were Christians were put in the mo- amongst the most hardened of criminals. And um, they were treated, the, the actual hardened criminals were treated better than the Christians. Yet he makes the observation and he testifies to the fact that the resilience of true Christians was something that was very evident. They were steadfast in prayer and their conduct was always different. So while others around them lost their minds, these were the ones that actually came through. So you have to ask why. And I think a strong relationship with the Lord. When you're in a situation like that, you don't have your wealth, your, 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 um, your network or your backing to support you. 
It really is. You're totally dependent on the Lord. And uh, these people were brutalized. They were starved. They, you know, it's quite amazing what was done to them. Yet, so many remain steadfast in the Lord. Double-mindedness. James 1, 6-8, it says, But let him ask in faith, not wavering. For he that wavered is like a wave of the sea, driven with the wind and tossed. For let not that man think that he shall receive anything of the Lord. A double-minded man is unstable in all his ways. So we need to be sound-minded. We need to be clear-headed. Not double-minded, not sitting on the fence. We need to really expect the Lord to move and to be, to be strong and to believe what he says and not to be seduced by other voices, other, other um, ideologies or whatever is around you. Fix your mind on the Lord. Wrong motives. We need to be careful what we pray for. We've probably heard this before. You know, is it a need or a want? Does it glorify God? You know, should the Lord ask you if you ask for a six-room ha- six answer you if you ask for a, a six-room house or for a Jaguar or whatever? You need to ask yourself that question. In James 4:3 it says, "Ye ask and receive not because you ask amiss, that you may consume it upon your lusts." So we shouldn't feed our lusts. We shouldn't be feeding the flesh. I think things that we pray for should be, we should look for others. We shouldn't be self-centered, and we should perhaps pray for things that will bring God glory and have eternal value. There are the prayers I believe that will be answered. A couple more before we, we come to a conclusion. Do we value and esteem prayer? So not setting a high value in prayer. So when something happens and something goes wrong, is prayer your first resort? Now I remember in uh, the first church I was in, an old pastor and he was talking about counselling and advice. And um, I'm not too sure what my, what my opinion is on Christian counselling, whether it's valid or not. But I remember what he says is, which I thought stuck in my mind, when someone asked him for advice, his first question was, well, how many times have you brought it before the Lord? And how long have you been praying for? That's a good question. Before you go off shotgunning and uh, telling every man, woman and child what the issue is, have you actually gone to the Lord first and waited? And Daniel 6 verse 10, you know, Daniel, when the, um, the decree was set against him, it says that when Daniel knew that the writing was signed, this chapter 6 verse 10, he went into his house and his windows being opened in his chamber towards Jerusalem, he kneeled upon his knees three times a day and prayed and gave thanks before his God as he did a four times. So when things went wrong, the Lord was the first he turned to. And one more, which is um, an interesting one for us husbands, not treating our wives correctly. It's a very powerful thing when a husband and wife pray together in unity before the Lord. But 1 Peter 3 verse 7 has a, a warning or an admonition. It says, Likewise, ye husbands, dwell with them according to knowledge, giving honor unto the wife as the weaker vessel, and as being heirs together of the grace of life, that your prayers be not hindered. So if you don't want your prayers to be hindered, you need to be in right standing with your wife. And um, it's interesting that's a specific thing that, that, that uh, Peter brought out there. And you know, certainly it's, it's hard to, 
It would be very hard to get up and speak here this morning. It would be very hard to, I think, be open and genuine before the Lord if you're fighting with your wife. Maybe some of us men can testify to that. But it happens. It's the reality. But it makes it very, very difficult. So prayer is labor. It requires effort and attention. And without it, nothing's achieved. And we know James 5.16, the effectant and fervent prayer of a righteous man or a righteous woman availeth much. Okay, so if you come to a conclusion, one thing Satan fears, Satan trembles at praying Christians. Whether it's simple prayers, whether it's a child's prayer, whether it's prayers on the move, you'll be praying as you're driving along in your car, praying corporately here on a Friday evening, praying in the spirit intercessory prayer. And we have that privilege of waging warfare on behalf of others, others' needs and, and um, you know, things that, that, that need attention. Praying for the government. We need to pray for the government now because we're not sure what's ahead. Praying for the nations. Praying for the nation of Israel, perhaps. Fasting and prayer in many forms. They're all a part of the Christian walk. So to conclude, a little couple of points for us to take away. The title I gave this, this morning, Don't Give Up in Prayer. The, that's it. There's no other options. Don't give up in prayer. And it's an indispensable part of the walk of a Christian, your life and my life. Is there anything worthier than getting to know the Lord? And... Um, you know, as I said earlier, I really want the Lord to say, I know you, well, well done. You know, enter into rest. And the only way we can get to know him is to spend time with him. Still a great challenge, but it, we, know, we know the answer. We know we have to do it. Trust in the Lord, as the, as the proverb says, with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge him, and he will direct your paths. So trust in him, and wait for him to answer. I don't believe that you could stand here this morning and coerce or shame people into prayer. It doesn't matter what I say, it wouldn't work. But I think um, maybe we have to sort of stop and stand back and think, you know, what the reason is for prayer. You know, we bear in mind that the Lord knows everything we're going to answer in advance anyway. He knows our very being. He knows everything about us. I believe the Lord desires fellowship with us. We are his children, and he wants to relate to us. And, you know, we need to get to know him. And the Lord, I think, does not have a deaf ear and always has a place for us when we turn to him. And when we're right standing before him, he wants to hear us. He desires fellowship with him. He made us for that purpose. So we don't need to be coerced. We don't need to be shamed. We don't need to go on a guilt trip. We just need to know that we need to, to love him and to get to know him, because he's our Heavenly Father. And so we pray to him through Jesus. I just want to read two more quick things, just in conclusion, from that book. It's not scripture, but I believe the man who wrote that knew the Lord, and I believe his words are important. For those this morning who think that they're insignificant, and can't have a mighty influence, Consider this. This is Charles Spurgeon. A certain preacher whose sermons converted many souls received a revelation from God. 
It said it was not as sermons or works, but the prayers of an illiterate lay brother who sat on the pulpit steps pleading for the success of the sermon. It was this brother's prayers that brought men to the Lord. This could be the case with us as well. It may be that after laboring long and wearily, without good prayer, all honor belongs to another builder whose prayers were gold, silver, and precious stones, while our sermonizing, being apart from prayer, are but hay and stubble. The smallest child here, the most insignificant person, the person who doesn't get to be out the front all the time, your prayers count. And uh, there's, no, there's no inequality with the Lord. You know, we're all the same in his sight and he wants to hear our prayers. And finally, the pastors this morning, all the pastors, all the leaders, they need your prayer because they are at the forefront of Satan's hit list. They're up the top of the hit list. And here's something that Jonathan Edwards wrote. And Jonathan Edwards was the preacher who wrote that uh, and gave that famous sermon, Sinners in the, hang- in the Hands of an angry, angry God. What he says here is, If some Christians who have been complaining of their ministers had said and acted less before men and had applied themselves with all their might to cry to God for their ministers, had as it were risen and stormed heaven with our humble, fervent and incessant prayers for them, there would have been much more in the way of success. So let's keep our, our pastors and, our, and uh, those in leadership in prayer this morning. So, so we thank you, Lord, this morning. Uh, as we close, we just uh, want to... Lord, we want to be um, strong in prayer before you. We want to get to know you, Lord, because we love you. We want to get to know you, Lord, because you made us to know you, Lord. And uh, draw us this morning, Lord. Help us, Lord, to make those changes we need to make, to make you a priority, Lord. For, Lord... You are the one that's eternal. Everything else, Lord, in this world that we're consuming our time on is passing and um, will pass away. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord, this morning that you bless each one of us as we go our way now. Bless us, Lord, as we have a conversation over tea and coffee and uh, we commit the rest of the day into your hands. In the wonderful name of Jesus, amen. Praise the Lord.